Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's co-host, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm really honored to be joined by Abbas Kazimi, the VP of Business Development at Nimbus Therapeutics. Today, we'll be talking a little bit about Nimbus, its unique approach and structure, machine learning, really hot topic right now, as well as how the company has grown and been able to thrive in the age of COVID-19. Abbas, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Luke. Happy to be here. You know, maybe to kick us off, would love it if you could start off with an intro on yourself and give us a sense of how you got to where you are today. Great, my pleasure. So my background, it's not the traditional path that led me to BD at Nimbus. Uh, usually my colleagues in the BD space take a favorite path that's you know typical of an undergrad followed by a consulting gig, by an MBA, usually of the pharma stint, and they transition to biotech. For me, the path wasn't as clear as that. So after I did my undergraduate studies at University of Texas in Austin, I moved to Boston to pursue grad school in molecular and cell bio. I was fortunate uh, along the way to meet an individual who recruited me out of the lab to really give me a chance to join his boutique investment bank. He was someone who um, previously had run Bain's healthcare practice, had previously done BCG's healthcare practice globally for 20 years, and co-founded MPM Capital. The firm that he had put together was really formulated to support transactions for the MPM Capital portfolio and eventually took on a number of clients themselves. It was my foray to the first time of kind of leaving the lab and asking the question, where can you really bridge the science with the business? And that level of curiosity is kind of where our relationship really took off. And it gave me a chance to experience what BD was for the first time, to really get inside and start developing not just a deal sheet, but to really kind of learn fundamental financial, analytical, and sell-side engagement skills. But on top of that, I think the most important experience there was the soft side of business development, right? Speaking with clarity, delivering presentations, being persistent, and really kind of the strength of relationships. So that experience was probably the most augmented was by the fact that it was during the 2007 to 2009 crises, frankly. I learned here the foundations on what it really meant to work with a number of biotech companies, probably the size of Nimbus is where they are today, as they were struggling uh, to really find focus, getting anxious about letting assets go, bringing on new capital, possibly getting sold outright. And it gave me a chance to really come to the table and work with management and learn a bit more about what are their anxieties? Uh, how can you convince the scientific team that this asset could actually return value for the near term and actually give the company growth for the long term? And those skills, you know, I, I knew I wouldn't ever find kind of in a classroom setting. I knew I really found by having a mentor in place and really getting a chance to, you know, even though it was a crisis, uh, really learning the ins and outs of what it takes to really negotiate deals uh, for the best interests of our clients. At the end of the day, all those skills are applicable today to where I am. Uh, if you think about the environments where Nimbus is, it's thinking around what does valuation mean? And historically, working with clients who are looking at big pharma and big pharma taking the advantage of saying, well, we, you know, we can drive valuations much lower. It, it was an opportunity to understand, you know, where is the value that we can bring to the table, at least from an advisory perspective. Eventually, my mentor left, uh, went back to Germany to settle down with his family. Uh, I found another firm to join called Xterra Partners. 
which used to be part of PureTech. Uh, the name was actually PureTech Developments. We had spun it out and became a very similar investment bank to degree as well, where it was kind of advisory on a number of clients uh, across the life sciences spectrum. So we had an arm focused on medical devices. I was on the arm of really kind of the biotech side. And it gave me a chance to really refine the skills, again, of business development to a true nature of really working with companies, not as just transactors, but integrating ourselves for one to two years at a time, rethinking the clinical development strategies, if it made sense to go back into a phase two B, how can you finance that? Can we find capital? And those four years were tremendous. Again, uh, the learning curve was truly there. And I never really lost my curiosity on the science side. I think every client brought a different challenge, a different TA space, and a different problem for us to really think through, how can we find the best solution? Nimbus was a story that was being formulated uh, in parallel. I happened to be in the Boston area, and my previous mentor, Addix Dara Partners, was a connection that I had with a former CBO of Nimbus, Jonathan Montague, who's currently now the CEO of Hotspot Therapeutics. And he introduced Jonathan and myself, and it was a really great conversation, and the opportunity was too much for me to turn down. Uh, Nimbus, at his point, had two programs that were near inflection kind of going towards development candidates. They were looking to raise capital as well. And for me, it was a skill set to saying, well, I've been on the external side for so long. It was a, it was a chance to really kind of enter the operational experience. I started learning what it feels like to really be on the inside of the company versus being the guy on the outside saying, here's the advice and run with it. So uh, I joined the company in 2014 in a pure BD capacity. I can say it's been a tremendous ride and one that's even getting more exciting as the years come forward. Awesome. Well, it certainly sounds like a pretty broad uh, set of experiences going from laboratory research to um, banking to sort of venture creation and now Nimbus. I'm sure there's a lot of interesting war stories throughout that process. What I can say is you learn a lot. You see the ups and downs. But at the end of the day, there is an altruistic nature to our business. And what I found to be persistent was even as we were giving advice to divest a whole oncology portfolio, as we were looking to acquire assets and create our own companies around them as well, at the end of the day, the goal here truly was to find patients, access to patients and medicines for patients. And that consistency really kind of made my job tough, but also had having that vision in the end really kind of made it profound. So even though my education route was a bit divergent, I can't say that learning by the experience and frankly, being curious and continuing to learn today has developed those foundations of entrepreneurship, leadership, and business development that I think you really truly need to be successful in the world of biotech business development. Absolutely. So, you know, maybe that's a great uh, sort of maybe intro for us to then think a little bit about Nimbus specifically. And I'd love to learn uh, a little bit about its origins, its mission, its focus, and some of the unique aspects that differentiate it from the rest of the herd. Thanks, Alok. Nimbus's mission is to design breakthrough medicines by combining computational approaches with deep fundamental insights into structure-based drug discovery in order to tackle some of the most difficult challenges that still exist today in small molecule drug discovery. We recently celebrated, as much as you can in quarantine, our 11th birthday. And this milestone is not just a celebration because of the number of years that we have been in existence, because we continue to have a robust pipeline, a number of high-caliber partnerships, a continuous base of investors who support our mission, but probably most importantly, the ability to continue to attract talented individuals to our organization. We were founded in 2009 by Atlas Ventures and Schrodinger to really develop an experiment on how to tackle and challenge the biotech ecosystem. 
This was highlighted and evidenced in three different hypotheses that we've talked about. Uh, and three hypotheses that I would note have evolved naturally over the course of a decade. The first one was our only path to chemistry would be an in silico approach. And I would say regarding this hypothesis, it's one that we feel that we've actually accomplished uh, with numerous examples, but one that's also evolved because our thinking around targets have evolved. And so that thinking entails of not just being limited to the in silico approaches, but going beyond our toolkit and applying other novel ways to actually get strong chemistry foothold. The second hypothesis was, and what still proves itself today, is can we operate efficiently and effectively through a virtual model? We have never had labs uh, and no expenses from an infrastructure basis, but have really made most of our investments on cultivating deep relationships with collaborators and academic collaborators, frankly, uh, and CROs all across the globe, which has proven for us to be very successful because we're able to go and find the right team and the right talented groups to really help us at the next inflection point for us to get our ability to move our program more efficiently faster. And the third was, can we really set up our business as a holding company where the investors have their capital and the limited liability corporation on top and all the assets we developed are housed into separate holding companies? While we're not the only ones who are set up this way today, Nimbus did take this approach here first and have proven this structure to promote liquidity and frankly capital velocity, two limitations often cited in biotech. So stepping back, Nimbus was really got attention in 2016 when our first in silico design molecule for acetyl-CoA carboxylase was acquired by Gilead. This really was a turning point for de novo structure-based drug discovery, since we were able to go from an initial screen in silico uh, to a development candidate in 16 months. And eventually we took this program to phase 1b where Gilead acquired that asset and now currently completed its phase 2b trial. Beyond this ACC program, I want to cite our next breakthrough, uh, which is an exquisitely potent selective allosteric tyrosine kinase 2 modulator, which is in the clinic now and has achieved over 100-fold improved selectivity for the target compared to any other publicly known TIC2 program. Being able to advance this program to the clinic for us is really important because it took us out of this one-hit-wonder category and really validated that our computational methods to really create novel small molecules and move them forward is exemplified by the fact that we were able to get past and file an IND and start working on a clinical trial. Since we are a computational player, we can apply this expertise that we have across any therapeutic area, but really go back on relying on the team that we have today. So to the question of what differentiates Nimbus, even if we compared who we are today to ourselves 10 years ago, there are probably three general buckets that I think around on what really qualifies Nimbus as being unique. The first one was our ability to really select very good targets and how to make traction against those targets with the various chemistry tools we have. Secondly, is the ability to think outside a limited scope of tools and continuously be curious and apply novel approaches. And the third is, frankly, really doing it with an extremely talented set of individuals who are within us as an organization, as our team members, and also, as I mentioned previously, a strong set of collaborators around the globe. So, for us, what really makes us unique today is we've learned how to really go after these targets um, and selecting very good targets, frankly, as our pipeline to the testament of. As we have worked on in the past, we have targets that have strong causal human biology, that if we're able to design a selective and potent drug against these said targets, we'll be able to see a strong clinical effect. 
In regards to the computational and chemistry tools we use, we've also learned what really enables our model. We go after targets where we can find a path to elucidate crystal structures early on, so we can turn to a number of collaborators, including Schrodinger, to apply their horsepower and the various methodologies to generate novel chemical matter. And I want to note here that we go beyond the typical methodologies and have made massive investments with collaborators around the globe to access the best tools, including machine learning, cryo-EM, and other capabilities to make sure that Nimbus has in its wheelhouse the right tools in our quote-unquote platform to make advancements. I do want to note here for us, we never really talk about the platform today. The platform has always been an enabler. And because it's an enabler, and because our model is such as one, where we continuously can incorporate more tools, that's probably the most important learning and differentiation. We're not limited to one single approach. Our limitation, frankly, comes to our own ability to think of what we currently have, but it really comes around of saying, can we access the best tools? And that leads me to my third point of differentiation, and probably the most important for me. What supplements our team today is truly this vast network of consultants, academic collaborators, and CROs all around the globe that we treat as equal parts of our team. We have spent years cultivating relationships, and on top of that, really building out a system of informatics that really can manage all the data flow coming in from not just our collaborators at the institutions, but all of our CROs. And I cite this again, Alok, as we've talked to your team around on how can we manage all the data and the relationships and doing it efficiently. My answer simply here is it takes time and it takes time and experience on how to make this robust. And that time and investment is something that I believe is really difficult to replicate overnight or immediately and one that Nimbus has been able to refine and be frankly pragmatic about, and which ultimately for me really defines what differentiates Nimbus today. Yeah, if, if I may, there's you know an interesting topic that you sort of bring up there in the context of leveraging computation to find sort of a novel chemical matter. The one thing I'm, I'm curious about is it's well known that you can find a myriad of different molecules that can bind you uniquely to say a specific target. However, oftentimes drug programs, especially downstream, fail not because of selectivity, but because of off-target effects, right? And toxicity related issues. So I'm curious, like as you think about the implementation or the employ of computation beyond sort of that early stage sort of hit identification, what are you sort of seeing downstream, especially given the cost as well as the failure rates that are predominantly higher later in drug development? Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways and areas to be improved. Again, I think we keep our ear to the ground. There are a lot of interesting technologies coming online. Some claim to be panaceas, but some actually have you know interesting places in our toolkits, right? I think what we know is that humans can't predict uh, certain properties. So what it comes back to, Alok, it's really kind of combining traditional drug discovery. I think for us, it's there's a place and time where we can utilize our tools uh, exactly as you defined it. You know, machine learning is a big part of what we do at Invis. Uh, it's a, a large part of our collaboration with Schrodinger as well. I think they're always creatively thinking on that next level of, you know, can we predict certain DMPK properties? Can we look at admin as very specific lights where machine learning could be applicable? But, you know, as we question and test and beta test some of these tools, you know, we cannot segregate the idea of where traditional met chemistry and traditional biology and that validation uh, is needed to be had. So for us, the timelines of measurements really come through that early phase on that DMAT cycle, that design, make, analyze, and test. If we can continuously make progress and overcome those timelines, you know, fundamental biology can't really change, right? A 28-day GLP talk study is still going to take a lot of time. And those are things that you fundamentally need to do and invest in getting a good IND package in place and moving that program forward. Interesting. Okay. 
you know, with that, we'd love to learn a little bit more about the collaboration that you guys have with Schrodinger. Uh, obviously, given the company's history, and it felt like Nimbus was at the forefront or sort of was working on computational and you know machine learning aided drug design before it was really sexy and hot, right? And I know Schrodinger is, I think, both an investor and on the board of Nimbus. Would love to learn a little bit more about both that collaboration and how that's evolved, as well as secondly, as you see the evolution of machine learning and AI in drug development, maybe some of the areas of bright spots or the the, the greatest promise, perhaps in the future. Yeah. So maybe we can kind of think about it in two segments. So I think on the Schrodinger relationship side, I think that was kind of the first hypothesis at Nimbus. You know, so we really wanted to test this ability to conduct in silico drug discovery. And a partner with Schrodinger really gave us unparalleled access to some of the most cutting edge in silico drug discovery technology suite without the financial burden of having to build it organically. Our partnership really provides us far more than just software packages that others may get in the industry. Nimbus gets a large number of dedicated computational chemists. We get access to thousands of processors via their cloud computing network, new released, unreleased software algorithms, and continuous advanced access to the most cutting-edge technology applied in a personalized way to our targets. You know, this fundamentally allows Nimbus to maintain our first mover advantage. What's critically important here is that Nimbus gets complete exclusivity with them on all of our programs right now. So anytime we look across our portfolio, we have exclusivity with Schrodinger, and they are not going to work on the programs. Uh, and other partners with Schrodinger will not have the ability to work on those programs through their channel. So we are able to bring the Schrodinger horsepower into the program and really keep a competitive advantage in our organization. I think it's important on the technology spectrum and when thinking about technology where we are today. So structure-based drug discovery is truly important for us. There are some targets out there that have good biology, but no structural basis. So you would end up doing a phenotypic screen or other type of screening approaches on those targets early on. Uh, if there is no structure or either some immediate path to get a structure in place or some structural resolution, that probably won't be a great target for us. We have certainly taken risk with targets, and we will continue to do that on the work in the past. And even currently now, we have employed cryo-EM techniques on targets that don't have the perfect structures today. And we invest in those with a very clear trajectory and timelines and the investment curve to be able to say, let's go solve the structure so we have it in place and move on so, that, so we can prosecute the program. I mentioned that as one of the differences with Schrodinger is today. They really look at things that have structure in place now. Whereas Nimbus will go back and refine the models and continuously taking a look at technologies that can help us move forward. We love working with Schrodinger. We love the application of their technology, but we also apply other technologies, both machine learning technology, as well as other modelings in areas of virtual screens and molecular simulations. At the end of the day, technology for us is truly an enabler of our pipeline. We have always used what is best fit for purpose. So, you know, we have this great relationship and we enjoy working with Schrodinger on those technologies. Nimbus really is about the pipeline first. And we constantly ask ourselves, what does a program need? You know, we don't have slides today in our presentations that talk about how we're discovering drugs. I think that's kind of in the background. For us, it's really about moving the target forward and getting a chance to talk about the successes we have with TIC2, with HBK1 in the pipeline, and a number of programs we'll be announcing fairly soon. Awesome. You know, I'm curious, like given your view and, and role from a strategic perspective and thinking about resources and targets and, and collaborations, for companies at their earliest of stages, I've often seen that there is this tension or struggle between platform, right? A set of capabilities or focus areas that can be applied across multiple indications versus a single asset or a lead program. I'm curious, like in your experience, any insights or best practices you could share in walking that fine line or guidance you'd give for younger companies earlier in their life in that regard? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Alok. And it goes back to one of the hypotheses I mentioned earlier, can we truly become this asset-centric organization? And so early on, Nimbus made the bets of saying, you know, we're not going to really think about talking about a platform per se. We really want to get capitalized enough and use that financing to push our programs forward. Our experience has been, and even personal experience on working with a number of companies in the industry, is that you always find yourself in this juxtaposition of where is the true value? Right? Is it on how you're going to actually maximize the platform to develop a drug or are the partners you're talking to, the value driver conversations, really want to take a look at what the output. So for us, the benefit was, let's take a look at what the output is, right? Let's take a look at not really doing deals around platform. I think at one point we had discussed, should we go out and do a multi-target collaboration deal to unveil some targets with our platform? But at the end of the day, the calculus from a business perspective was, we would really be putting our, an umbrella under our organization on really managing one massive collaboration with a partner on making sure they get what they need from a target perspective and what the engine shoots out versus us saying, well, we really came into this business to really prosecute medicines going forward. So there is this aggregation of saying, you know, what can the platform do for you? And if you really need to test the platform limits, then it does make sense to do some of these early collaborations. I think for new therapeutic modalities that do come out that have a very novel platform, those deals make a lot of sense. Um, I think for others, it's a question of saying, you know, can we have enough capital and patience to say, let's validate the platform internally and let's see what is generated. And for us, it's always looking down the pipeline and saying, what have we generated from the platform? So we have an engine. I think the engine has been doing extremely well. I would say the past two, three years at Nimbus have been our greatest success, frankly. Refining the pipeline, attracting more talents, but really kind of telling ourselves, wow, you know, in the past 11 years, there is an engine. We are continuously pushing targets forward. And they're not truly novel targets. It is really novel approaches. And so when we talk to partners across the table, their interest, again, is going to be where on the Gantt chart are you on developments of this asset, not if, you know, what's the newest machine learning technique you've applied. For some deals, that might make sense. And we definitely have certainly been beneficiaries of putting deals in place that folks are interested on, oh, let's use a Nimbus approach. But as we become more mature and become more confident that we have a strong engine in place, I think we're fairly comfortable saying that the investment here truly becomes on the assets that come out of the platform and disaggregating any conversations because you really might lose a lot of value at that point. Very interesting. So, you know, maybe thinking on the other end of the spectrum now is that since presumably, you know, Nimbus doesn't have a commercial sales arm at the moment, it may not aspire to necessarily have one, partnerships, I'm guessing is a great approach to sort of value realization as you've had success in the past in that area. Given the state that the world is in today where travel is limited, people aren't able to interact interpersonally, and given the volume and the magnitude of investment required to partner on a deal, any insights or observations you've made so far in terms of deal making in this era of COVID-19 and what kind of advice you might share for, again, companies and individuals earlier on in their career in that regard? So we're all home or different areas. Fundamental practices of business development might not change. Yeah, of course, we all miss the ability to get together, to have body language, to interact with folks. Uh, they definitely want to meet people. And, but, you know, we're also being socially responsible and responsible to ourselves and doing the right thing and operating the way we are today under COVID. What I can't say is that this is probably a great time to refine some of the skills that I had learned previously. This is a great time to pick up the phone. Folks are available, probably even more available than they were before, walking down the halls, other meetings get scheduled. To, to, you should really build your Rolodex to build those relationships. Uh, it might be strange to do some presentations on, on Zoom. But at the same time, what we're realizing, again, from an Nimbus perspective, it's we were kind of born out of this 
our initial financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And we really wanted to test the ability to say, hey, you know, are there ways for us to maximize efficiency? And that goes back into this idea of Nimbus being virtual. And what we've noticed and what I've noticed as well on the BD side is that we're actually operating pretty well using this technology, using Zoom and other tools to really contact people and access people and have meetings. And I think there's a certain level of comfort that even though we're not able to shake hands or grab a meal together, there is this ability to kind of work in our respective places uh, and really build camaraderie. And that comes back to just relationship building and really investing on conversations. Uh, Sometimes it might not be on Zoom, we might be more comfortable on the phone. And there's certain areas where I feel that The best way to kind of do this is BD is active. Uh, I think teams are active. Folks are active out there. We're seeing our industry be quite productive, not just from a market standpoint in terms of where we are relative to the stocks industry, but also kind of just seeing the number of deals that we're seeing executed, the number of capital being raised and deployed. So what that tells me is that folks are eagerly interested. And what, what it comes down to is if you have the science BD for me, and the best lesson I've learned, and something that Nimbus lives by today, is that great assets are truly bought, and they're not really sold. And it's a really interesting dilemma that we think about, because the more I think about how can we get our programs out there, let's keep on pushing the science, let's advocate all of our scientists to work on presentations, posters, publications, and let the world know that Nimbus is working on a number of programs. The doors, or now the phone starts ringing, right? Folks will come to you and ask you, what are you really working on? Oh, this is an interesting E3 ligase program. Let's start thinking about this a further. So I think my advice is start positioning your Cells and getting BD out there to really let know what you're working on. I think business development for me is not always partnering. It's the ability to really get out there and letting folks know that we're available, we're interested, let's have conversations. And you don't always have to have every meeting to conclude in a term sheet. I think there's some meetings where you'll learn a bit more on is your program interesting? Do folks want to actually engage with you at this stage of development or a later stage of development? What package actually do you might need to really develop to get that party or parties interested in you? So this was probably a great time for teams to introspectively take a look at and say, are we truly in stealth mode or do we want to come out of stealth mode? And let's start picking up the phone and building those relationships. It sounds like, you know, for those who are perhaps seeing this as a negative, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that the fact that people aren't having to commute and walk the halls have more time to devote to learning about new compounds, new companies, new approaches. Second, that the early seeds that you plant today are kind of what leads to those longer, bigger deals in the future as, uh, and I love your, con- your, your phrasing of assets are not sold, they're bought. Is that, is that a yeah. fair sort of articulation? That's a fair articulation, uh, although okay. I think that's been our experience in the past. When I came on board at Nimbus in 2014, we had been working on the ACC program for quite some time. And at one point, we actually decided to probably even slow down our work on that program just because we weren't getting enough clarity on some of the earlier models that we were running. However, you know, we did have a breakthrough. We found an allosteric site to go after from the chemistry perspective. And once that program began, applying all the tools that we had in-house, going from our hit to development candidate in 16 months, really allowed us to turn around, get a financing for our Series B, and then began talking to a number of, frankly, KOLs, right? My investment initially was really kind of bringing a 
pretty predominant scientific advisory board, as they call it, the Nash Mafia, to Nimbus. And it was those individuals who started introducing us ideas to say, this is an interesting disease. Here's some models. Here's some clinical plans to go after. And at that point, Nimbus was truly actually talking to a number of banks of probably going IPO. But we were fortunate that you know we had a couple of great meetings. One of those meetings was with Gilead. And they looked at our program and came back and said, this actually has a large play from a fibrosis standpoint, an inflammation standpoint, and a steatohepatitis standpoint, making it really a valuable asset for, you know, for NASH. And that's why they picked up that program. So the point being, it's if we hadn't done that early investments on getting the assets out there via the channels of academic collaborations, via the channels of KOLs, you know, publications internally, it would have been much more difficult for us to go out and evangelize that asset at some points. I think right now the goal again for Nimbus is we have very early programs and we're taking a very calculated risk. IP is secure, the teams are secure, and we're going to announce these programs. And again, the intention is not to come back and say, we're going to close the deal, but start positioning ourselves for a deal. And there's two very big distinction factors. So if you're going to go out and you're the BD person who says, I need to do a deal today, that's much more difficult than saying, I want to go out and position myself for a deal You know, 12 months from now. You start affording yourself some more time to meet more people, to really kind of make the science continue to prosecute, and to go back to your teams to kind of calibrate on what is it that you really need to make this attractive asset available for parties. Amazing. Wow. You know, maybe the last question I have here before we wrap is, do you feel like we're in the golden age of biotech? Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting question. So maybe from my vantage point with uh, over a dozen or so years in the industry, advising a breadth of biotech and even some med tech companies in my past, I would say we, we are in biotech's golden age. And as we are now starting to see such profound breakthroughs and implications for patients, I think of the golden age question first in the context of the industry and then in the context of Nimbus. From an industry perspective, the technological progress we've made in the past two decades have really enabled methodologies and approaches tangible now, which were at one point purely, I would say, conceptual. We now have genome and even nucleic-based editing agents that Hollywood at one point glorified and even vilified, and we're now beginning to understand how we can even drug some of the unknown areas, RNA, or the the remaining 98% of DNA, and even create better agents on how to deliver medicines more precisely and accurately, something that, from a small molecule perspective, we're always keen on understanding. I think the technological advancements have really brought a revolution in drug discovery. You know, our fundamental understanding of human biology continues to benefit from these advances, as well as our ability to integrate some modern machine learning algorithms to sort through the vast amount of data we have access to and continue to uncover. With this, even our Nimbus's computational capabilities have brought a quantitative nature to biology that has historically been fairly a non-quantitative science. It's still not an engineering-based discipline where things are always going to work, more or less, as you anticipate. But as we're moving more towards systems biology predictions with sufficient understanding to enable these technologies, we are seeing the ability to get more decision-making and drug design play a stronger role much earlier on. And I think about these computational approaches and how they've evolved dramatically. I think the 20 years prior to Nimbus's being found, where CAD software, machine learning were integrating, to where we are today. These advances have really sped up, in our perspective at Nimbus, the accuracy and efficiency in drug discovery. Accurately predicting binding affinity and protein ligand complexes, what we know can substantially facilitate the drug discovery process, but it remains a difficult problem. So we continue to invest in multiple approaches to tackle this challenge by applying more and more, for example, free energy-based simulations and machine learning-based scoring functions that are advancing, again, exponentially in our times. So maybe just stepping back, 
I might not be the best to say, you know, where are we in the golden age as a student of the industry and a member of one of the leading biotech companies, but that really, we see the benefits of these advancements. And I can't say, you know, somewhere in the spectrum, that golden era, quote unquote, in biotech truly has begun. And we're just so excited that we can be a voice amongst that dialogue. Awesome. Well, it certainly sounds like a great philosophy and one that certainly has enabled the company to outlast uh, multiple different, uh, you know, sort of shocks to the economy and the system as well as thrive uh, as a result. So, you know, I think I speak for the Biotech 2050 community and say that we wish you all the best and are eager to hear uh, more about those programs in the future as uh, they both advance in the clinic and hopefully uh, get to market in short order. Great. Thank you so much, Alok. Always a pleasure to talk to you and pleasure to be here today. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050pod. Again, that's Biotech2050pod. Until next time.